Our children can now be dismissed to Children's Church if they would like, but they're also welcome to stay if they want to. We love having our little people in here. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to look with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read to you a portion from this chapter, verses 17 through 38. And before I read that, I just want to give you an intro thinking about this. Um, Where did God's people start? Where did God start having a people? You realize that he started having a people in the garden, right? His people started in the garden at creation. And that people that God have even survived by grace, the rebellion, the fall itself against God. And not only that, his people were brought to new life because of the work that Jesus has accomplished and done. And now his people, that means us, are awaiting the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. You see, this four-part story of scripture that we're looking at together this year, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration, that four-part story shows us that God has always had a people, that he's always been building his church. In other words, it's not that God has two different peoples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, or two different stories, or two different ways. It's that the Bible is one story with one people of God that he has created and redeemed and one day will live with forever. Listen to this from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, this is talking about Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How about that message from the Holy Spirit? Here's what the Holy Spirit has for you, afflictions and imprisonment. That would probably not be something that we would think, we might even question, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit has that for me. Yet for Paul, he knew it. Let's keep going. But I, verse 24, do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, if none of that makes sense to you, don't worry. We're gonna pray and ask God to help us, and then we're gonna jump into this and try to understand it together. So hang in there. If you're just visiting with us, you need to know that we believe the word of God is powerful and living. So you can read it, and it may not make much sense, but as we ask God for help and study it together, that living word takes grip of our lives and brings life into us. So let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. We read these uh, actual accounts of people who care about each other, and perhaps it may be a little confusing, but on the other hand, it's really heartwarming. It's fun to read about friends. It's fun to read about relationships, because all of us want relationships. All of us need relationships. We all need people in our lives. So we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this passage, that you would help us to see how the gospel uh, makes sense of this, and would you draw us close to you? Would you, would, you, would you draw us into new life with Christ? Holy Spirit, take these words here that you guided those that authored. Take these words that we just read and make those words come to life in us. We pray this, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you would have all glory now and forever, world without end. Amen. So this is the point this morning as we look at Acts 20. You ready? This is the point. Jesus' plan is an enduring community. That's the point. That's what I want to show you from Acts 20. Jesus' plan is an enduring community. So if you ever, if you're sitting out there, desire friendship, you know you need friendship, you've been looking for community, maybe you've been burned by community, I want you to know Jesus has got you. His plan is for an enduring community. So we're gonna look at the story of Acts 20. Then we're gonna move from there into this and not that. And then third and finally, we're gonna talk about friendship. So 
Jesus' plan is for an enduring community. The story, this, not that, and friendship. Got it? That's the roadmap of where we're going this morning. So let's jump in. If you're just joining us, you might wonder, who in the world is this Paul guy? I know. Last week, we looked together at Acts chapter 9. Pastor Chad explained that passage to us and reminded us that Saul was this guy that thought he was doing everything right, and he had to learn by God's grace that he was doing everything wrong. And God interrupted his life. Jesus is the great interrupter, and he interrupts our lives in grace, and he transforms everything about us. Paul is an example of transformation. Just like if Jesus has come into our lives and interrupted our lives, we have been transformed. And our lives are heading in a completely different direction than before. Not serving self, willing to admit pride, recognizing that, oh, there's someone more powerful than me and his name is God and he's in control, not me. That's what we looked at last week. So what has Paul been doing What has God been doing through Paul since Acts chapter 9? Because here we are in Acts chapter 20. So let me summarize for you briefly what goes on from Acts 9 to Acts 20 verse 16. You can go back and read this. I would encourage you to do so. Here's what happened. Paul goes out in the desert for about 10 years. God summons him and says, you are going to go and plant churches. So in Acts 13, the church lays hands on he and others and sends them out to go and plant. So Paul went to places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and he went to Greece and he went to Turkey and he went to Ephesus. He went to all these places planting churches. In Acts chapter 17, he has this amazing encounter at Athens. If you've ever been there, you can go to the place where Paul stood 2,000 years ago. He had an amazing encounter at Athens. After that, in chapter 18, he went for the first time to Ephesus and he started meeting with people there and talking about Jesus and the gospel. It was quite the encounter because um, as he was speaking there, people were really upset and there was almost a riot, by the way. Before on his way there, if you look in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, the Bible even mentions that Paul stopped and got a haircut. How about that? This is real stuff that's going on. Acts chapter 19, Paul ends up in the first part of uh, chapter 20, um, not only returning to Ephesus, but then ending up in Turkey at the first part of Acts chapter 20. So he's in Turkey, and it's there that he meets with those who are understanding the gospel and hearing about Jesus and following Jesus and wrestling through what does that mean. And Paul meets with them late at night. And just to set your minds at ease a little bit, Paul was kind of long-winded. And there was a guy who was there listening to Paul and he fell out of the window of the house. He fell asleep when Paul was preaching. So if you guys fall asleep when I'm preaching, you got biblical precedent for that. You just, Dave, I remember Acts 19 and it says right there that this guy fell asleep in preaching. So that guy falls out. Paul ends up, ended up staying up all night, pulling an all-nighter. Anybody pulled an all-nighter yet? The new semester begins? Not yet? Your time's coming. So Paul pulls an all-nighter and he desires to meet with this group of people at Ephesus that he really cares about. So that brings us to verse 17 of what, where we started reading, Acts chapter 20. And Paul wants to meet with the elders. And if you have your Bibles open and you got it on your phone, I'm gonna reference a lot of verses. So let's look at this. Paul wants to meet with the elders and this is what he tells them. 
verse 19 and 20. Hey guys, you know the ups and the downs. We've been through some really hard stuff. You know what that has been like. He even mentions in verse 19 with tears. You know what it's been like to minister among people. It's really hard. Verse 21, but in every place that we've been, in all of our doings in Ephesus, we have not stopped talking about repenting and believing that we have been steady in sounding the note of the gospel, that people need to remember, that I need to remember, that Paul needs to remember, that everyone needs to remember. We need to repent and believe in Jesus. Then you fast forward a little bit, verse 25 through 27, and and Paul has this imagery in his mind from the book of Ezekiel. You notice he says that um, there's no blood on my hands. Did you notice that? That's actually an Old Testament imagery from Ezekiel 33. It must have been the overriding imagery of what it meant to be a pastor for Paul, that he was a watchman. Because in the book of Ezekiel, God is really upset with his pastors because they are not on watch. What they're doing is feeding people what they want. They're not telling them the truth. And so God says, if you're gonna minister on my behalf and you're not gonna be ministering the truth, then their blood's on your hands. And Paul has that imagery. It's the second time he's used it in the book of Acts. Once in Corinth and once here. And Paul has this idea, this overwhelming responsibility to declare the truth and to say, Lord, I am faithfully, imperfectly doing what you want me to do. Imperfectly, but faithfully declaring the truth. So Paul reminds them together that they've done this. And then Paul even says toward the end, 31 and following, that uh, he actually wasn't even a financial burden to those in Ephesians and those at the church at Ephesus. He wasn't a burden to them financially. He labored with his hands. Did you see that? He labored with his hands so that he could provide for his needs. And not only for his own personal needs, but for those who were also with him that this was a guy who was out planting churches. This was a guy who had been beaten. This was a guy who had been thrown in jail. This was a guy where the Jews were after him. Remember Chad alluded to that last week? That when Paul became a follower of Jesus, the way that he used to live, they thought he was a traitor. So those who followed Jesus were like, well, I'm not sure that I like this guy. Remember, he was like trying to hunt us down. And the guys that he used to run with, They were like, this guy, we need to put him to death. Can you imagine how lonely Paul must have felt? And here he is saying, I am not in this for personal gain. You all have been with me. You know what it's like. We've been through the ups and downs. You know the scars. I got them on my back. You can read about that in Galatians 6. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Paul was literally beaten for declaring the gospel of God's grace. And he's reminding them, guys, we've been in this together. I haven't been, out, I haven't been in it for money at all. Matter of fact, I've wanted to serve those who are willing to go with me and provide for their needs too. And then he ends up telling them two times in, this, in these verses that we read, around verse 25 and then later, Guys, I probably won't see you again. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit is leading me to go to Jerusalem and oh, by the way, 
I probably won't see you again. If you're following along at this point, and the story is kind of connecting with you and hitting a little bit, do you feel what's happening here? Like, do you, can you get into this story? Do you see the tears? Three times in these verses, Paul mentions tears. Verse 19, around verse 31 and 36 or something like that. Like, Paul is, he's literally weeping. That he's telling them, look, we, we have tried to talk about Jesus everywhere we've been, even with tears. And he tells them at the end, I probably won't see you again. And, and he's weeping because of how much he loves them. And they're weeping as they take him down to the boat because that's the means of transportation. And he has to go somewhere. And they're weeping. Jesus' plan is an enduring community. And this community is a place where people weep together, a place where they share their faith, a place where they talk about memories, a place where they know each other's scars, a place where they even suffer together. Those of you that have your Bibles, would you look in uh, chapter 21? You gotta see this, it's real subtle in Luke's gospel. Paul has just told him that he's got to go to Jerusalem and he's going because the Spirit has reminded him that he's going to suffer affliction and probably imprisonment. And look at verse, uh, roughly verse 1 and 2 of Acts 21. Notice the word we. Luke is the human author of Acts and he's telling you, when Paul goes to Jerusalem to suffer, I'm going with him. We are going to suffer. Jesus, his plan, Jesus' plan is an enduring community where you share your feelings and you cry and weep together. You know scars, you share memories, you talk about your faith, and you even suffer together. How about that for a community? Well, that leads us to this, not that. We're thinking about Jesus' plan of an enduring community. That's the story. So now let's dive in a little bit more and pick out other things. This and not that. The first thing is this, but it's not that. Not a charismatic leader, but leadership. The whole church is not built around the Apostle Paul and his incredible gifts. Look at what he does. Who does he want to meet with? The elders. He's not talking about the people who are, in, in a, who are advanced in age of the church. He's talking about the office. He's talking about the office of elder. And if you look down roughly in verse, verse 28, you'll find that their function is given. They're overseers. Paul is not trying to establish or build or, or further the church through a charismatic personality. That's not it. And yet that's the thing that we are drawn to naturally over and over and over. Same thing that God's people want in the Old Testament. Want someone that is super handsome and gifted and looks better than other people. God is committed to leadership. God has leadership for his church. They're called elders. 
And they've been appointed by the Holy Spirit in order to help lead and oversee the spiritual well-being of God's people. And that means that if you've ever been in a church that doesn't have elders, maybe you've been, possibly, or moving toward elders, then maybe you've been in a toxic environment. If you've ever been in a spiritual thing that's built around someone's personality, maybe you've been in a toxic environment. Because God's plan is to have a group of people that have been entrusted to care for your spiritual well-being. And Paul knew it wasn't him. He was leaving the elders to help the church and to serve the church. Not charismatic leader, but leadership. Next, not getting, but giving. Look at verse 35. As Paul's telling them that he has provided for himself and for others, he reminds them of the words of their risen Christ, where he says, it's better to give than to receive. Not getting, but giving. Our lives can be so much about getting, right? We want God to be very generous with us. We want God to pour out his generosity on us, materialistically in all kinds of other ways. We want God to be generous with us. But oftentimes we struggle to be generous toward him and others. It's oftentimes not hard to spend money on self, is it? Think about the times in which you have run into resources in your own life. Pay increase, uh, promotion. Think about how quickly you start thinking about, oh, now look what I can do with my money for me. It doesn't first come to our minds, does it? That it's better to give than to receive. Because you see, what Paul is trying to get ingrained in his own mind and in our minds and in the minds of the church is this. When God's people give of themselves and give themselves, they actually are reflecting who God is all the time. God is a generous giver. He gives himself even for us. So when Paul says this in verse 35, he's reminding us in this enduring community, it's to be a people who are not about getting, but about giving. And if all you hear in that is financial, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the totality of who we are, our time, our interests, our resources, everything to God's kingdom. Not this, but that. Not distraction, but gospel. When you go back and read this, look at verse 28 and 31. Paul tells them, hey, be careful about distractions. Be alert, verse 31. Watch yourselves, around verse 28. Don't be distracted. Be aware that, those are the, that there are those inside your gathering that actually are wolves. Meaning, he goes on to explain that they're teaching things that are twisted. They're teaching things for their own gain. They're teaching so that you might follow them away from God's people, away from the church. And Paul's saying, be aware. Don't be asleep. Be a good watchman. Watch out for those who are teaching things that aren't true. Be able to discern those that are teaching and wanting people to just follow them, not the truth. They're twisting the truth. 
They're not declaring the truth. Don't be distracted by what can happen inside the church. And Paul also says, in a way, don't even be distracted about what's happening outside the church. Paul says he's going to go and suffer. As a matter of fact, when he wrote these words, when Luke wrote these words about what was happening in the first century, there was persecution going on. There was persecution. Paul was part of that on the wrong side. And then he was someone who was a target on the other. And Paul doesn't talk to this group of elders. He doesn't talk to these churches in Ephesus and says, and say, you know what? Persecution's going on out there. Let's change our agenda. He says, don't be distracted. Be aware of what can go on inside the church. Don't be delusional. But also, don't set your agenda by what's going on outside the church. Here's your agenda. Look at verse 32. I commend you to the grace of God. Here's the agenda of the church, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what we need to grow. It is everything for us. The message of Jesus is everything. Who Jesus is and what he has done is everything. Not distraction, but gospel. Paul wants us, God is speaking to us through the Apostle Paul saying, focus on the gospel. Don't let current events set your agenda. Don't even let persecution set your agenda. And don't let those inside the church start twisting things. Overseers, beware of that. But people of God, focus on the gospel and who Jesus is and wanting to know him more. It's his power that is at work in you. Nothing else. Focus on him. Well, one, a couple more. Not isolation, but needing people. Do you see how it just kind of lifts off the text? If you go back and read, can you tell that, that Paul cares about these people? Can, can you tell they care about him? Can you tell that Paul is concerned to, to go where other people are? There's no isolation here. He's trying to get us to understand that we really need people in our lives in deep, deep ways. I read, I read an article recently. I'll summarize it for you. It's an article that's trying to talk about the modern world that we live in, in the West. And, and in particular, um, the article says the primary characteristic, this is a new word to me, which I thought was brilliant. I love it. The West is primarily, primarily characterized by excarnation. Not incarnation, excarnation. I know you're wondering, what in the world does that mean? It means that we are a people who have become obsessed with defining ourselves based on what we do outside of ourselves. Meaning, we are defined by everything outside of us. We have externalized ourselves so that we are obsessed with every external activity, production, results, progress, and it is exhausting. And we've hollowed out what's actually going on inside of us because we care about production and everything that's external. We've neglected what's going on internally and just tried to live as if what we do is what defines who we are. 
and it doesn't work. It's no surprise to me, perhaps no surprise to you, that our culture is in this wave of dealing with and thinking about mental health. That shouldn't surprise anyone because we so hollowed ourselves out by defining our production and progress and what we think we can do that we've neglected the most important part of our being, which is our soul. And in caring about our soul and what's going on internally, it will affect all of the external things that happen. Our production, our progress, our lack of progress, our failings. So that you see, what we really need is not just external things. Life cannot be lived as if we are, internally, as if we are some abstraction, that we're just defined by external things. God cares about what is inside first and how that changes the outside. Not isolation, but needing people. We need people in community we need to live together with others. That leads us to the last thing here with not this, but that. Not power grab, but vulnerability. Did you notice that Paul mentions in verse 22 and 23 that he was being led by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem? Did you notice that? That the Spirit was impressing upon him that he needed to go to Jerusalem? Well, What's so interesting is that in the time in which we live, if someone were to say, the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this, we would instinctively think, well, then that cannot be questioned, right? Maybe you've been under this type of influence before where someone says, or God spoke to me, or the Spirit's leading me to do this, or the Spirit's leading me to do that, as if, if I use that phrase, if I use that concept, then you can't question me at all and what I'm doing and what I think God wants me to do. And if you go in chapter 21, Paul says the same thing to those that he meets in the next place that he goes. And guess what? Here's what they say in return. Look at verse four of chapter 21 and verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter 21. This is what they say. Paul, we've heard you. You said the Spirit wants you to go to Jerusalem. We're telling you that the Spirit is leading us to tell you you're not supposed to go. Twice. Different people. This enduring community is not a power grab. It is a place of vulnerability. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life and to the point where you say, he is leading me to do this, what that means is if the Holy Spirit is really leading you, it opens you up for scrutiny and examination. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, then you better tell that to other believers. And you better be able to hear them say, I'm not so sure the Holy Spirit's leading you to do that. Because life together is about trying to discern the will of God together. It's not where people that have this extra authority or weird authority get to say, well, the Spirit's leading you to do this and then you feel like you have to go do it. Right here, Paul says the Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem and others are like, well, the Spirit's telling me you shouldn't go. 
and they have to work it out. This enduring community is not a power grab. It's about vulnerability and opening yourself up to what you think the Lord wants you to do and having that examined and prayed through and tested and scrutinized so that together you might recognize, oh, this is what I need to do. And maybe I shouldn't do that. I was wrong about this. Now I know I can do this. I'm right about that. Well, finally, in our journey, we talk about friendship this morning. Jesus' plan is an enduring community. You've gotten the story. You've gotten a few of the highlights of um, not this, but that. And that brings us to friendship. When you go back and read this, what you find is friendship around the gospel is all about sharing. I just couldn't think of another word because it's not transaction. If you really do some self-evaluation, if you really look in the mirror, if you really think about your life, how much of your relationships are about transaction? What this person can do for me, what they won't do for me. How much of your relationships, how much of your life right now, today, how much of your relationships are actually just transactional? And as long as someone can do something for you or they agree with you, they're good. But as long, if they don't agree with you or they push back on you a little bit, gone. Don't need you. This is talking about real and genuine community in which there is the sharing of feelings People are crying together, and in particular, grown men crying together. Do I need to say that again? Men crying together, sharing their feelings. Gentlemen, if we haven't matured to the point in our lives in which we're able to talk about how we feel, we got a lot of room to grow. Sometimes the struggle in our relationships is because we're just not emotionally mature enough. And what God has given us to get there and to grow in maturity is the church and the gospel. They shared their feelings. They shared their things. They shared their stories. They shared their scars. They shared their faith in talking about what God wanted them to do and what he thought that they should do and what they need to do together, what they need to focus on and all that God has done. They told stories and they were gonna miss each other and they were even willing to suffer together. That is an enduring community. That is what Jesus' plan is for his church. You see, friendships, all of your friendships, all of my friendships are about something. Just start there. A friendship is not where you get together and you just stare at each other. That's not a friendship. Friendships are about something. Friendships originate when you find things that you have in common. Friendships, can, you connect with other people via friendships when you realize that what has captured your heart has also captured theirs. So think about your relationships. Think about your friendships if you have them. And if you don't, then we gotta start somewhere else. Come talk to me. Think about your friends. What is it that has captured your heart? Have your hobbies captured your heart? How about your career? Has that captured your heart? 
How, how about, how about um, financial things? Has that captured your heart? Meaning that by default, these are the things that you talk about. What about your responsibilities? Has that captured your heart? Because my hunch is, if you look at your relationships, you've connected with people over your hobbies, over your career, over your financial position or desire to talk about money. You've connected with people via your responsibilities. Am I wrong? And none of those things are necessarily bad. Just hear me. Those things can't carry the weight of your soul. They can keep you shallow. They can keep you very shallow. Nothing wrong with relating to people through your hobbies. Nothing wrong in and of itself relating to people through your responsibilities. Nothing wrong with relating to people through, oh, your financial things or whatever it is. It, nothing wrong with that intrinsically. I'm just telling you, if, those, if all of your relationships are based on those things and those things alone, they can't carry the weight of your soul. And you're probably dying inside. And you're probably scared to death. Because the only thing that can carry the weight of your soul is building relationships around Jesus and the gospel. And when you begin to connect with people over your faith, and you begin to connect with people over what Jesus has done and what he's doing in your life, then by all means, having conversations about your hobbies or your responsibilities or your career or your money, that all makes sense because they aren't as important. They don't matter as much. If Jesus has captured your heart and if the gospel has captured your soul, then you're gonna care about other people through Jesus. If the gospel has captured your soul, if the grace of God has interrupted your life and changed you and is transforming you, then it will transform the way you look at your hobbies and the way you look at your money and the way you look at your responsibilities and the way you look at your career. And Jesus' plan is for an enduring community where people have an unbreakable bond because of what Jesus has done in their lives. And they are willing to fight for it and develop it and see the work of Christ continue to grow in their lives. All because our greatest friend, the best elder that ever lived, the greatest older brother that we could ever have, he shared his tears with us. He shared his fears, his scars, his story, his hopes, what he came to do. He shared it all. He shared himself so that he would build this enduring community. And friends, it's only through his body and blood, that this community exists and grows. And that's what brings us to the table.